Hello, friends, and welcome to the show. On today's episode, we sat down with my very good friend, Tim Shackton. He's the brewmaster at Ulele. As they say, it takes a lot of beer to make good wine. We want to be an all-encompassing podcast, bringing you wine information and local restaurant tours and what's going on in the industry, but we also wanted to dive into the beer side of things, and we thought that he was the perfect person to do that. He's not just a brewmaster, he's kind of that guy that you want at your campfire because he's going to tell the best stories that you've ever heard. We really enjoyed the podcast, and we want to thank everyone who made it happen. Cheers. guys slancha slancha <laughs> this is a uh, very special episode of the podcast what we're doing today is uh we're talking about beer and brewing with a uh with one of tampa's top brewmasters tim jackton how you doing buddy it's wonderful to see you guys i'm so happy to see you uh, and uh, welcome to our little beer palace <laughs> i'm excited because you're gonna have to teach me about beer <laughs> I, I know i like it i just don't know a whole lot about it that's well that's what this is this is a beer palace right this it is, is. probably is uh wonderful one of the most successful breweries if not the most successful brewery in the area i mean we have things like uh tampa bay brewing and and you know some of those things that have become you know big big names across the country but in terms of tampa this is what you think about well i i agree uh but also i would uh codify that uh by adding that i believe ulele is extremely successful in our area which is this wonderful restaurant uh custom designing the beers to pair at the table the whole mission of ulele in the brewery to incorporate natural ingredients in the process and uh i don't uh, frankly so, sometimes i wonder if we should be known as a craft brewery at all i like the idea of just being known as a brewer in a brewery i want people to come into the brewery and i i want them to order a beer for me as if they were walking into la segunda bakery to order a loaf of cuban bread yeah. <laughs> right. you know what i mean yeah no like, absolutely you get the palm front roasted in the top of the bread you know you're going to take that thing home and slice it up and pull out that spanish ham and th there's something authentic about that i really uh i i tie into that i i, I so we you know we use natural raw materials we don't use clarifying agents i use malt hops yeast water fruit honey <laughs> flaked oats that's it there's nothing and you you'd be surprised and i know you're being in the wine business you know what people sometimes have to do to clarify their product i don't use clarifying agents at all right that was one thing i wanted to ask you was yeah. like how is beer making similar to wine like what are there steps that are similar i would say that Beer making is closer to winemaking, and um, beer making is a lot more distant from distilling, even though the raw material is the same. Yeah, completely different, right? I mean, yeah, uh, you, you, you're using a yeast. <clears throat> you, uh, in most cases, have to age to a certain degree, less so with beer, of course. And 
with the new emergence of this wonderful American brewing community, you have just these crazy, wild new things coming out. And uh, you've got a bunch of, especially the younger brewers, man, they're coming out with stuff that just blows my mind, man. Well, you said earlier you were making uh, a beer with wine barrels? I do, I do. I, I incorporate barrel aging. It's one of the um, traditional things that we do here. You know, it's like uh, in the old days, they always used wood barrels, you know? They were a little bit different than bourbon barrels and wine barrels. The staves were much thicker and of, of course the Germans perfected that. But uh, as, as we opened Eulalie, I realized, well, number one, we have so many wonderful relationships with vintners all over the world, you know? And uh, we, we order our spirits by the barrel. So if we go to Maker's Mark, uh, we'll tra send somebody from our team to travel up there, They'll, or Knob Creek, or Patron, they'll do a tasting, they'll select barrels, they'll put those uh, the, the spirit in one liter bottles for our bars, and they'll send us the empty barrel. Well, I wanna talk about that specifically, sure. not to pause you for a moment, but mm -hmm. something that's so unique about you lately is exactly what you just said. Mm -hmm. They travel to these places, they traveled to Knob Creek, they mm -hmm. hand selected the barrels that they wanted, and they have those barrels sent in. Correct. Everything is unique. I mean, Gonsmart's name's on the bottle. I it mean, is. It, it is, is on the bottle. Yes. And, then and it's you good get, stuff, too. Let it's me great. Tell you. It, it's, <laughs> it's all barrel-proof. Yeah. And then you get the barrel afterwards, and that's what you start sitting your beers on. Correct. And for for so long, you had, I mean, the, the Patron, if I remember correctly, yeah. now for those people listening and, and playing along at home, uh, I know Tim Shackton because I worked here for several years early on in the beginning. Uh, I think I was here for almost five years, and, yes. and you put me through the Cicerone program, so thank you yes. for that. Oh, it's a pleasure. Um, but in the beginning, if I remember correctly, we were the first restaurant in the United States to go to Patron and take Patron barrels. Is that right? The first private uh, barrel purchase, if, if memory serves me right, was, it's been a long was time. the Gonsmar family. And there was there was Disney and a couple other companies right behind them, right. trying to break through the door. But the when you have relationships with families all over the world, I guess that's how it works. There's the, it's a lot of it's like a handshake, right? Right. But uh, for me, that I really had not didn't have much to do with that. For me, it was oh my goodness, I've got this barrel. And every once in a while, you know, I I would be here, and you know, Joe Wagner would come down the stairs. He'd have a bottle in his hand. He's like, "I love your beer, Charles." You Smith. want a couple <laughs> bottles? Uh, you want a couple barrels of Camus? I'm like, "Are you kidding me?" Yeah. You know, Paul Hobb. I mean, uh, you know, Michael Honig sure, uh, offered up sure. a barrel to you. And we have, uh, uh, of course, the barrel that we have on tap right now was a, uh, a personal gift from Kristen Barnheisel, who is the white wine vintner for J. Lore Vineyards. And that's that. That's the beer that's current now. Yes. Like if you came in tonight and you said, "I want a wine that's aged in a beer barrel," that's what I'm getting. Yeah. Oh, you meant a beer that was aged in a uh, wine barrel. Yeah, <laughs> I got it's, you. It's this strong beer that, <laughs> that I'm drinking. We're out. We're outside right now too, so you'll hear a little wind. But yeah, this 
This is like I'm That's a called guy. the anniversary ale. Ooh, it's so good, man. I love that beer because it represents many different things. But I wanted to I wanted to make a beer that was strong, but my brewing style is I I just I'm not a big fan of very strong beers in general. I you know, I like sessionable beers. Right. When I, I look, I love beer like a baby loves his mama, right? I'm unapologetic about it, but the thing I love about it is, and I'm dialed into this, I like to drink beer as if to sate my thirst. And that's the difference. When I, when I think about what I'm brewing, they're always in the back of my mind, no matter how strong or how uh, assertively hot the beer is, there has to be that instinct, that raw emotion that you get when you just take your glass and you keep chugging. And I'm not saying that my beers are like chug bombs, right? But that's not what I'm trying to imply, you know? But drinkability is something I'm obsessed with. Well, tell me what the saying is that, that we used to preach to the entire staff. What is what now, is I've the, got many of them, so you're gonna- what's the, what's the saying? It's a double down beer. That's right. Everyone is a double <laughs> down right. beer. Right? When that empty glass slides across the table and the hand comes out to wave for another round. I mean, that's, you know, you're doing, you know, you're in business. You don't have to look at somebody and say, how do you like the beer? It is, it's happening. And when they order the second round, it, it quantifies it. You know that they like it. It's not like they're going to look at you at one beer and say, oh, this is good. That was all right. Let's when they get the second round, that's it. That's well, it. <laughs> well, what you're saying, and I think to speak further to what you're saying here, is these beers, they're so approachable. They're so drinkable. Right now, and, and I kind of want to get your feeling on this, but I, I have a, an idea of where you're going to go. You're not this up-and-coming, young, brew, craft, brewmaster. What you're making are, are beers that are – they're craft, of course, but they're so approachable. You logger a lot. You're a lot. you're great at loggering, well, and there's a, there's a reason for that, and and we'll touch on that in sure. a minute. But your beers are meant to drink a third, a fourth. Yeah. They are not the high. Not they don't drink like they're very high. What is this uh, anniversary? Oh, that's beer? that's about eleven percent, though. That's a big beer. Yeah. But would you know that? I don't think I would know that. I, I, I can tell you what I think about it. I, I think that this is beer that's complex. So people who drink wine always look for complexity in wine. Yes. This has, like like you said, like coffee. Bittersweet chocolate. Bittersweet chocolate. Cocoa nibs. The cocoa nibs. There's a little bit of aged hops in there. Mm -hmm. and, and then, too, you guys were talking about lagering like that. I don't even know what you're talking about. So well, that's let's, something you're going to have sure. to Let's hear about show me why about. you lager. And there's there's a specific reason. I understand why lagering happens, especially in a – what's important to note here is is how busy Eulalia is. Yes. This is a, a restaurant that will chew you up and spit you out. I mean, it is a, a very busy restaurant. We'll serve 1,000 people a day on a weeknight. Exactly. And um, on a Saturday afternoon I'll, uh, in, in season, I'll sell over 200 gallons of beer. And I know? tell people that, and they they look at me like I'm yeah. like I'm exaggerating, or I've got two heads. And I said, I love when I hit that number the first time. It was a few years down the we were a few years into it, and I went, I went, I can't believe I sold that much beer in a single 
place and then I look out on the lawn and there's 500 people on the lawn. Well, that's the it's key. Beautiful. That's the key. <laughs> it's it's not just the dining room. It's not just upstairs. It's not just downstairs. It's not just the patio. You've got a lawn that stretches a mile long yeah. and you literally have a lawn that stretches two miles long all the way down to the Columbia Cafe oh, because yeah. this river walk, you can drink the whole way. We so have someone wet comes rights up, to the river walk. Yes, indeed. And the uh, other thing is it's the, it's the community. And uh, being tied to the Riverwalk, it really ties us to uh, having a presence downtown and also the neighborhood, you know, Tampa Heights, the whole reason we're here, you know, uh, you're talking about the oldest uh, subdivision in, the, in Tampa and, you know, almost, what is it, 100 years ago that they had the influenza outbreak and you had everybody moving out of Ybor City to go to the higher ground over here. And uh, that's why they called it Tampa Heights. And uh, the, the neighborhood was always seemed to be over the many decades in a period of distress. Uh, so it was no guarantee that Eulalie was gonna be something that would work out. It was always a big risk. But uh, we took this historic building from 1903 and it's a water pump station. And um, it had seen better days when I walked through the door with Richard Gonsmart to take a look around. Uh, but he explained to me his vision, you know, uh, native inspired food and spirits and the idea of having a craft brewery on site and being on the river walk with the presence so close to all the, that's going on. And I just fell in love with the idea. Really, really hard, of course, because I mean, Gosh, it's a beautiful property. It wasn't so beautiful when we were here. You know, it took a lot of work. It took over two years of planning and some of the brightest men and women in the business coming together to um, take this historic building and to frame it into what it is today. Of course, it's evolved over the years, but what you see is what you get. We've got this huge 10 foot barbacoa grill. You know, uh, that thing is it's massive. We, it, it, there, we always have five or six people working around it simultaneously, but that's what barbacoa is all about. Absolutely. Uh, much like an asada, right? I mean, it's asada, kind of the same yeah, idea. Just like they do in Argentina, it's asado. It's, it's, it's just grilling over fire. But you'd said now, so Richard came to you, but like, were you brewing somewhere else? What well, were you, I had what a, were you doing? Uh, just a little background about myself. I, I, you know, I come from a brewing family. So yeah, yeah. Milwaukee, huh? Yeah. Oh really? <laughs> yeah. I was wow. born and raised here in Tampa Bay, though, so it's an interesting story. My um, great great grandfather was a very prominent brewer in Milwaukee at uh, the turn of the century, and uh, you know, I uh, my grandfather uh, w suffered horrible frostbite from the Battle of the Bulge. And when he got home from the war, he said, I can't live in Milwaukee anymore. It's too cold. Whenever it get above 50, to, uh, below, you know, 55 degrees, his whole body would start turning purple. So he was like, no, I know. I'm going to come back. Let's hop everybody in a station wagon. We're going to drive home uh, from Milwaukee. And we're gonna, we, they landed here in Tampa Bay. So I came up here. And uh, I uh, really didn't realize how important the beer business was for me and until I took an active interest in brewing when I was young but I got home from my own stint in the Marine Corps and you know home from Desert Storm spent all my sea money didn't have any work walked into a brewery 
I said, hey, I'd love to learn how to make beer. And I, I, I'm self-taught, and I came on a board uh, a firm with name Hops. I'm sure a lot of people who live in this area will recognize that name. It's a brew pub operation that built 78 breweries across the nation. And it, I, I spent 15 years with them, um, building breweries, designing breweries, training brewers, you know, working on beers. It, it was the time of my life. And that experience ultimately led me through a family. Uh, I have a dear family friend um, that, that introduced me to Richard and I believe that it was meant to be like there, there was somebody above watching both of us that day. I, I truly believe that, as I believe God watches over us now. But uh, it was the compound of my own personal time in my career that gave me the valuable experience that I needed to come in to see the floor, lay it out, design it, what type of beers, work with our executive chef on a menu side by side for many, many months where, you, you know, hey, try this paleo with this New Zealand hop. Or, oh, we tried this type of oyster and char-grilled and we're doing this on a calamari and got some dry-aged steak over here. And I went back and forth for months and months. I must have gained 20 pounds and <laughs> it just was crazy. But... Uh, it's been a valuable experience for me because I've not only had, uh, I've been able to branch out and really spread the brewing wings, so to speak. Uh, I've also had the privilege of meeting so many fine people in this community, people who I come to really care about. And it's not just the people that would, you would, that normal people would qualify as important it's it's the everyday guest that comes in here and that's what makes keeps me going it's like seeing those people coming in every single weekend i think we feel the same way in our business too yeah. we, we're lucky enough to have you know we've been there for 20 years so you know we're lucky enough to have you know i say customers but i would rather say friends yes know? yes and uh, it, you know when you when you when you're building that and you see it happening every week, you don't you don't want to go home. <laughs> you end up. I, I tell people all the time. I, I say I call my wife and I say I got this problem. I keep making <laughs> beer and people keep drinking it. <laughs> but I believe that about you. I don't care what anyone says. I believe that about you. That's not a story. That is, you're to me, Tim. I think one of the, there were a handful of people when we started this podcast that I said, I want to get on here. And you were at the top of that list. Thank you. One, I think that you are, you're a great storyteller. People enjoy hearing you talk. But two, I believe what you're saying. I believe yeah. that when you see these people, you have a genuine connection to them. I oh, believe yeah. that you, you can tell a story like no one I've ever heard. And I think that's because you're passionate about what you're saying. It doesn't have to be about beer. It doesn't have to be about you lately. You can tell a story about anything and you captivate the room. And that's something that's very unique about you. And I think it's because you believe in what you're, you're selling. I, I think, do. I do. I think that, you know, you kind of mentioned... And thank uh, you, by the way. <laughs> Richard, <laughs> but I believe it, man. And, and when I'm passionate about something, I, I really I, I want to I want to bring that out. I also think what you were saying with Richard, you know, you feel like someone above was kind of guided you with destiny, if you will. Yes. I believe that because mm. 
in this place, what if what has you lately been here now? Six years? Over six years. A little yeah. over six years. Yeah. I spent a good portion of that time here. I've seen people come and go to a crazy amount, and it's not anything to do with anything other than that's the way the restaurant industry is and this is some of the busiest this is one of the busiest restaurants i've ever seen if you're not sitting at disney you're not doing these numbers and this is this is very unique for tampa and guess what you're day one and you're still here that's that's a very special thing they'll have to drag my dead body out of this joint (laughs) (laughs) well you you're uniquely you lately when well, you think about you lately, I had my wedding. I'm humbled here. by that. I'm humbled by that. But I also believe w- what you tied on about a story. What good is a product or what good is anything unless there's a story behind it? There's a reason why we're doing it. And it, it's just like uh, we're coming up with our new seasonal beer, you know, and I, I always think, you know, I'm not the kind of guy that's going to have 50 beers on tap. You walk into a lot of breweries, you see a chalkboard, it's all over the place. And I love that when I'm visiting, but for me, it's like I, I need a little more certainty than that. You know, we, so when I, when I design a seasonal beer, it's, it's well thought out. Like take, for instance, um, our honeymoon lager. There's a perfect case in point. Mm-hmm. Honeymoon lager will tap on or around St. Uh, on Valentine's Day, it, directly in conjunction with the strawberry harvest. So we take a whole flat of uh, strawberries, cut them by hand, puree, DC, pump the pulp into a keg, fill a full keg, fill the keg full of crisp, unfiltered golden lager and shake it and tap it. And it is so sexy that way it because is. it's not here's some glycerin loaded extract that we put in a big tank. It's me cutting the strawberries. I know the farm that I got them from. The guy's been working his field for 50 years. It was his father's field. It's like they will go pick the berries for you by hand with their family, you know, and um that was one of the first pictures I yeah. saw about you lately. You and Eric Lackey in yeah. a strawberry field. It was with fun. These strawberries. It's it's fun to meet all those people because uh, it's hard not to get emotional when you think about the enormous amount of sacrifice and work that those people do out in the fields, uh, whether they own them or whether they're picking. And uh, so, I I felt like I had to tie something to the community with that right like that is such an important event the strawberry festival has gone on for what a hundred years and so as long as i can remember yeah so you know i have a beer called wedding beer we carry year round Mm -hmm. and i said well why did i make wedding beer Uh, there was a reason why i made it i actually brewed it for a friend's wedding many years before ulele was built but the reason why I wanted it to be in the menu at Eulalie was because that's what Eulalie's all about, is, is like being at a wedding. Your family's coming in from out of town. You miss them. You love them so much. Even your creepy Uncle Joe that tells the <laughs> off jokes that kind of, you know. No, I didn't mean to, like, imply anybody, but you know what I mean. <laughs> your off collar Joe. Yeah. Hey, wait a minute. Am I the creepy uncle? <laughs> yeah, that's what I was trying to say. <laughs> I did have my wedding here. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it's like uh, there's food everywhere. There's love in the air, and that's what wedding beer is all about. And I said, well, we should do honey. We should call it honeymoon lager because that's what it's all about as well. So we'll sell 
And the cool thing about that beer is as that we do it to order keg by keg. So as the season goes, the harvest comes in, the bricks of the berries are much more saturated with the uh, sugar. So it be, I don't change the recipe. It just naturally becomes sweeter. I love that you yeah. just said bricks. Can you explain yeah. that a little That's bit? That's just a sugar. It's a measurement of sugar. Yeah. Perfect. And the uh, vintners do it too. They'll take a bricks refractometer right out in the middle of a field and pick a grape. Uh, brewers will use bricks refractometers or hydrometers to measure sugar and do beer. You, do you look at it or do you just know that as the season goes, that strawberry is going to become sweeter? I'm, I'm kind of an old-timey brewer, like meaning it. like... Yes, I can taste it, and I know what sugar level it is, but I also am very much into German method brewing, so, you know. No, you must take and measure! <laughs> and you will measure accordingly! And if you're into wine and you don't understand, Germany has probably the highest, strictest regulation yes. in beer brewing. Uh, you know, man, uh, uh, until the 90s, it was called Reinheitsgebot. Or as Chef likes to call it, Ron Howard's boat, <laughs> which must be a pretty big boat. <laughs> but uh, Ryan Heisker boat is the Bavarian beer purity law from April 23rd, 1516. And I had the privilege of celebrating its 500-year anniversary here at Ulele. And we do have multiple beers that I would qualify as Ryan Heisker boat. Absolutely. And you, br you used to talk about it often. Oh, yeah. I love it. Because the thing is, you, you'd be shocked at what – I know the business well. You'd be shocked at what people do to try to clarify beer, or process beer. And there was – I just said to myself, we don't need any of that stuff. We need to be in here with the finest malts the best quality yeast. We need to just have a wonderful brewery where we use these fresh materials to make the freshest product, the best quality product that you can put on the table. You put it on the table and you say, this is the purest expression of a beer that I can make. And that represents a lifetime. And I continue to pursue that. And, you know, the other thing I'd like to point out is a lot of brewers don't like the idea of Reinheitsgebot. They think it limits a brewer. In what way? Well, it, you can't use certain things. A lot of certain things. You know, uh, you can only use malt, hops, and water, technically. Yeast is, back then, they, they didn't qualify it as an ingredient because it was left in the barrels. So they said yeast, yeah, you know. Yeast was like a natural, yeah. like just what happened. Yeah, but of course they added it later. And it became the European beer standard, which is what is recognized by the European Union today. But I like to say it's as simple as this. I, Im I incorporated European method brewing into Ulele. And as a result, I found that I narrowed my path. And when I narrowed my path, I found a whole world of opportunity to experiment within that realm that it it made me a more disciplined brewer it made me uh, have a much better understanding of the process because there's so many brewers they don't understand it's it's not a you you can you can think about creating the most wonderful beer in the world but 
if you're not thinking about the activity of your yeast in the tank and how to manipulate it to create a flavor or how to croisin to bring about natural carbonation or how to allow the beer yeast to settle naturally, you know, or what are the effects of bottle aging on a lambic versus keg? You know, there's many different ways, but if you're in a narrow, a narrow alley, what happens is you, you tend to improve the quality of your beer. So it becomes very difficult to make a poor quality beer. So how did that happen? When Richard comes to you and, and you guys connect and, and you're gonna be the Eulalie Brewer, does yes. he put you in a box? Does he say, these are what I want you brewing, this is the style I want you brewing? Or does he just give you open reign and said, Tim Shackton, you make beer for the world? How does that happen? <laughs> well, you know, it pretty much was uh, express yourself. And uh, the, it, was a, it was a privilege and an honor to be offered that. But the, uh, I recognized the enormous responsibility with that task. And I really, at that point in my life, felt like I was measured up to it. Because I kind of, I had a feeling like, again, God was watching over me. Something was going to happen that was good. So it, the other thing I like to add is, you know, the, the equipment, you know, we, you could have bought Chinese tanks for pennies on the dollar, but, uh, they made, we all made the decision to buy American tanks and it, you know, that was important because there's a difference between buying a five dollar skillet in walmart and having your grandmother hand you a cast iron skillet that she's been working on her whole life that's already seasoned yes uh, the st american ingenuity and stainless that it made for a better tasting beer and that's just the bottom line and of course looking at the facility itself i i recognized exactly what kind of capacity that we needed which was a lot more than a lot of people initially thought. And I, I was right. I was fortunate to be right because now, you know, we're, we're doing very well with the capacity that we have. A lot of capacity for cold storage because it takes four to six weeks to brew lager. And um, most brewers don't display lager as very prominent on their menu. Why is because, that? Well, there's a lot of reasons. A lot of people uh, would say that uh, if you have a small operation, it's incredibly difficult with minimal capacity. You need to turn your product. And I'm not speaking poorly upon the virtues of ale production because there's world-class ales out there. But lager is incredibly difficult because you can throw a ton of hops in a kettle and make a decent beer. But to make a delicate pilsner, it's really, it, it, there's not a lot of room for error. And um, you have to measure your time and your temperature in such a way that you, you're carrying it like a baby for weeks and weeks. It's not like, oh, here's the fermentation, it's done, boom, let's sell it. And uh, of course, because of that cold fermentation, it's thorough, it completely exhausts the sugar and the in the wort 
It leaves nothing on the table. Even when the beer is ice cold, it's, uh, the yeast is still active, and it's creating an amylase enzyme, which breaks down those, car uh, those starches into sugars that, that can be fermented. But it takes time, and it takes the Carlsbergensis yeast. You cannot replicate lager. That's why it's 80% of the world beer production right now, because it wow. makes a, a crisp, clean, approachable beer. You know, it's something like you don't have to be a, a beer enthusiast to understand what that quality is. But uh, I like to be able to promote the idea that we do a lot of cold fermentation here. And what does that mean? Like for we we. So the idea of the podcast is we are doing a lot of wine education. Yes. We also do some restaurants, Restaurant local, yeah. a lot of local. But to introduce people to the beer industry, they might not understand what, what cold fermenting means. What does that mean for a beer? Well, it's very simple. There's, there's two main strains of yeast. There's ale yeast and there's lager. And ale yeast ferments at room temperature or ambient temperature. It takes five to seven days and then an additional week of cold storage and you're ready to go. Cold fermentation with lager yeast is uh, it can be anywhere from 48 degrees to 55 degrees Fahrenheit, and it can last twice as long. And then when you chill the beer down after fermentation, the, the yeast is still highly attenuated, meaning it's highly up in, it's up in, in the beer, moving around, and it's still working. And as time goes by, it's, when it's done, it's like you're eating a turkey dinner on Thanksgiving Day, right? It just slowly just goes down for a nap at the bottom of the tank. Uh, but when you ferment more thorough with lager, it, the clarity is crystal. And when you incorporate German method and you Kreuzen, where you're, active, you're pumping active fermenting beer into cold finished beer to create the carbonation, you're creating a you're not only creating a natural carbonation of small bubbles be, small beautiful beady bubbles that are slowly rising to the top of the glass like champagne yes you or a crisp cl firm head that sticks to the side of the glass that you can see belgian lace all the way down you know it's it, uh, it creates the natural platform for uh like he aged beer in cold storage and you pump new beer in and it, it elevates the palate dramatically. It's like all this yeast is tired for, and they're highly attenuated and all of a sudden it's like a bunch of fireworks, man. Boom, 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 boom. New yeast comes in. New beer comes in. We're the new boys in town. You know what I mean? Hmm. And then all, all of a sudden it's like the end of the 4th of July. Boom, 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 boom. It's over. And, and within a few days, it starts to become clear, almost crystal clear. Wow. And what happens then is you have this expansion of aromatics because the gas is created naturally. It's not created by a, a liquid gas that you get delivered on the back of a truck. So uh, these are things I've always explored at Eulalie. I love being able to do it because um, it allow, uh, I love that I'm allowed to do it. But I feel like whenever I do it, I, I think about, you know, what would my family do, right? Like, you know, what would my great-great-grandfather think about this move right here? I, that, I ask myself that all the time. 
and what what would my family think about what I'm doing? Well, that's a very serious uh, concern of mine, you know. So, uh, especially when it comes to this product, and but cold fermentation is the bee's knees, man. It's it's really <laughs> fun, and it's a cha- It's it's fun because it's challenging in a different way, you know. Again, uh, I'm an old. I'm kind of an old timer, so I've got, uh, you know. There's a lot of wonderful young brewers, uh, and I admire everything that they do. But I also know that you, it's like, it's like, you turn the TV on and you get to a John Wayne movie. You're like, oh, I'm here for two hours because I know I'm going to have to watch this to the very, very end, <laughs> right? It's like there's something about the classics that just inspire me. Pilsner, Red Ale, you know, uh, Stout. Just the beers, the type of beers that you grew up on, and and magnificent flavor, without having to slap you in the face and throw you across the room. Sometimes delicate is better, especially when you have charred grilled oysters and calamari, alligator hush puppies, and all sorts of things, wonderful things happening at the table. It the I'd like to think that the beer plays first fiddle. But you cannot neglect the rest of the orchestra, right? It's like it's that's what Eulalie beer is all about. So it does not about how to design a special label or how to brand. It's about it's about what happens, you know, at the table. I love that you just said that. That's something that, that when you said that, that the hairs on my arm raised up. <laughs> I as a sommelier, yeah. I want Obviously, and I've said this before, and for those of you who have heard me on this podcast talk about it, I'm sorry for repeating myself. When I'm a sommelier and I'm running a wine dinner, obviously I, just in my head, I want the wine to tell the story, right? But you have to take a step back, and you have to realize that the whole meal is, like you said, an orchestra. You That's are, right. You're, everything's working in synchrony together. You are work. The wine is complementing the food, is complementing the wine. And I love that that's the way you look at brewing beer. You're not, you're not telling the story with the beer. You're enhancing the entire picture. You're, not, you're looking at 1080 HP. You yeah. take that beer away, and now you're just a, you're yeah. not quite there. That's you know, right. that's it's part of the, it's it's part part of the story. It's that's important. something that's, you know, it's a beautiful thing about you. But else, the other thing, too, Anthony, is this, is that I want the beer to sit at the table and I want it to draw everything at the table closer to the guest. It's everything. You, when, you're, when you think about what you're doing and you're drinking and you think about how it's going to work with everything there, is it making that type of environment that's welcoming that brings it closer to you and i know that's kind of crazy when i say that but i think about that all the time i don't think it's crazy because that's like what the italians say la familia i mean that's the that's the the coming together of family food yes beverages i mean that is what changes the world in my opinion amen to that brother it really does it does i mean that's people coming together and feeling love and kindness yes. and peace to, to and that's through food and through uh, spirits so i don't think that's crazy i think that's beautiful thanks i i but i i kind of obsess about it because i see people dining and i like and i and i tell the uh the staff all the time i'm like read your read your guests 
read your guests, understand what's going on. You, and you don't have to interact with them all the time. You can just kind of observe because the whole idea is, you remember, sometimes people come and it's their 20th anniversary or it's their daughter's birthday. And it's like, you got to understand, those are memories that are going to last forever. And I, speaking of a forever memory, it's, it's the barrels that we do for the weddings. It, yeah. that's, that's the most happy moment of my career is when I can meet with a bride and groom. They're going to have a service either here at Eulalie or, you know, wherever, but they might have a dinner here. We'll have a tasting, and then we'll select a barrel. We'll fill the barrel with beer, and we'll store it in the cold room. And then when the wedding approaches, we pull the beer out of the barrel to keg for service at the wedding, and then I prepare the barrel for long-term storage. I introduced the barrel into the Eulalie Commemorative Series, which we've done 107 barrels in six years. Wow. And um, what we do is we roll the empty barrel out to the wedding reception, put a bunch of pens on it so kids and family members and brides, maids, everybody signs it and they put loving notes on it on this beautiful wine barrel or it bourbon barrel. And then they come back from their honeymoon uh, you know, they take it home. And while, uh, you know, you might not sell 50 gallons of beer at a wedding. So what you do is, what I do is we we premiere it to the community at the tables here in Eulalie. Uh, we instruct the staff to walk up with the special name of the barrel. Here's the Smith-Jones barrel. You know, it's a J. Lore Riverstone Chardonnay barrel. It's been barrel aged, and, the, and they give you all the details, but they put the beer on the table, and they're saying, hey, we had a special event here, and that's what this is all about. And then um, I looked at a, a, a bride and a groom on their wedding day, and they were thanking me for all that I did, and I really was touched and honored, right? But I looked at them, and I said, you know, this is the most important day of your life, but I want you to know that I fully expect your grandchildren to be here 50 years from now talking about this day. And that's what it's all about at Eulalie. That's why I do the barrels. It's the only reason, you know? Tim, so I don't think that you quite understand the capacity of what you have. And, and I've mm -hmm. felt very strongly about you for a, a long time. And I don't. I, I thanked you a million times for our barrel and how sure. sweet it was for that us. That was a good time, wasn't but it? But I don't think that you understand. Mm -hmm. That piece is in my living room. Yeah. It is a centerpiece. There yeah. are people that were that attended my wedding that are no longer with us. Yes. And we see and they, they signed the barrel. We see this signature yes. yeah. all the time, and we yep. we see these signatures, and yes. that means something to us. Oh, that's yeah. something that'll never go away. That's the whole point. And that's what yeah. it is. I mean, yeah. it's literally a centerpiece in my house. I have another guest, uh, another bride and groom, and they recently moved closer to Eulalie, and I brought them their barrel. And I rolled it into the front door, and I was like, hey, it's good to see you guys again. Where do you want me to put this barrel? Do you have a special, like, uh, study or maybe even by the back patio or whatever? She's like, no, put it right in front of the door door in the foyer <laughs> i have a special glass cut for it i want it to be right here i want everybody to see it when they walk in which leads me to what we were just talking about before everything has a story you tie to a story the story of happiness and there's a physical presence of it and uh, and that 
barrel produced a high quality product and it has a fingerprint signature that nobody can possibly replicate. You cannot get your wedding beer flavor without that barrel. You could try a million other barrels. You'll never come close. And that's what it's all about. That's why I love doing it. <clears throat> it's <laughs> If that doesn't give you goosebumps, I yeah. don't know what was. Yeah. Uh, well, tell us, as we kind of uh, walked up here and we were kind of talking uh, beforehand, you said you got something very special in the works right now. What do you – what are you <laughs> – are you allowed to talk about are it? Are you allowed Oh, yeah, to? absolutely. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> they tell me what I can't talk about. Uh, no, the uh, uh, we have a beer upcoming, and I thought long and hard about this because everybody does Oktoberfest. Every brewer. Here's my, you know, here's my stuff I break out once a year, you know. Uh, I'm gonna dance and we'll have pretzels and I love <laughs> I like all that stuff yeah. I love I love Oktoberfest, but I'm just a little Oktoberfest tired. Okay. Right. But I love the the beer style. But why do people, in why do brewers in Tampa insist on brewing Oktoberfest in October? It's a hundred degrees out. Yeah. Are you guys nuts? Yeah, you need a that's summer, true. You need a summer beer in October here. In yeah. So I'm like, why would what you know? And everybody does it, and I guess because there's this urge, because everybody recognizes that period of time as a time of beer celebration, and it's a very important date for a lot of brewers. But for me, I was like, everybody does Oktoberfest. I need to come up with something different. I want to launch a beer. When it's a little bit cooler, going towards November. But I like this. I love the style. But I don't want to call it Oktoberfest. And I'm selling it in November, December, and January. People are going to be like, you brew this in October. Even though you could brew an Oktoberfest at any time. Right, of course. Well, so I said, I said to myself, uh, I'm going to make a beer. It's going to be a blend of Munich and Vienna malt. And it's going to be cold fermented. It'll be a very traditionally brewed Oktoberfest-style beer with the notable exception that I use a high amount of Vienna malt, which accentuates a toasty background. Okay. So you're going to get malt toast crisp. So this is what basically an Oktoberfest should be. And then I come back, uh, but that's where the comparison to Oktoberfest ends because I come in in cold storage and I drop a massive amount of Australian Galaxy hops hmm. and Australian Galaxy hops are are super awesome hops they when you don't cook them in the beer you dry hop them and you the hop oils go into the beer it infuses a fruit flavor a fruit suggestion without the additional sweetness of fruit sugar so Australian Galaxy you're talking the end result is going to be malt, toast, crisp, passion fruit, gooseberry, white grape, citrus on the nose. It almost sounds like a Sauvignon Blanc. I mean, it really <laughs> a does. lot, yeah. It has all those same notes. So here's the thing I, I said I, I, I think about how, what to name beers all the time, and I obsessed over this one because what am I going to do? What am I going to name this beer? I don't want to call it Oktoberfest. What is this beer? It's a dry hopped fall beer. So this is what we're going to call it. Dry fall. Dry fall. Not Skyfall like the James Bond movie. (laughs) 
dry, the dry fall. fall. I like that. It tells you what the beer is. Yeah. And it's not Oktoberfest. It's a fall beer for Florida. It's the perfect time. Because fall in Florida starts in February. <laughs> <laughs> that depends where else in the country you come from, right, Anthony? Now, now if somebody comes in today, is that beer on the it list It won't now? be on tap for at least a week and a half to two weeks. A week and a half. Yeah, it's still in the tank, and trust me, I am assertively sampling it. And this podcast, you know, is going to probably drop tomorrow or the next day. Uh, so that kind of gives you an idea. I th- think we're the first podcast ever to do it in a tropical low. Yeah. Drop- yeah I, don't, <laughs> I don't think there's ever been one done in the middle of a tropical uh, low. And no. you can hear it. Yeah. yeah. It's, uh, yeah. This but is we're going to tap it before Thanksgiving for sure. Perfect. Yeah. That I'm I'm very excited about that. I uh I love everything that you're doing here, Tim. I think that this is I love the idea of Eulalie. It's, it's one of the things that brought me here and kept me here. It's a very <laughs> cool place. And if you've never been here, you got to get here. I mean, Tim, you were saying that I could take a, a traveler and walk down the pathway. Correct. With, with you can your, take a water with, taxi too. Uh, yeah. It so, ties us directly to multiple stops. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. You could you could probably t- get the water taxi to the ferry to take you over to St. Pete if you wanted can't, to. Yes, you can. But you can also um, book a, a room at the Marriott and walk outdoors. And there's a dock right there. You dock up with the uh, water taxi. It takes you right over to Waterworks Park, which is right next to Eulalie. It stops every 45 minutes. I've, I've traveled all over. This is one of the coolest spots around i mean eulalie itself is very unique i mean the idea behind it is is i love it i love the you know native uh feel and native ingredients i love the everything about it and and the designs the sculptures the stuff from the lowry park zoo back yes like when the I was fairy a kid. land yeah. I, see, I saw all that stuff when i was a kid you know? there's yeah. nothing like this guy kind of and i know that you were here for the beginning and you touched on it a little bit I know the story, but for our listeners, I'd love for them to hear it from you. This place was was terrible in the beginning. Tampa Heights used to be a place that you wouldn't want to get off the exit. This is this well, is transformed you, to something. I'll give you an idea. If you go uh, if you go two or three blocks up Franklin Street, um, right in front of the Florida State um, Alcohol Bureau building. There's a historic. They're good friends of mine, by the way. I love you guys if you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> I've been there many times. <laughs> but uh, right across the street, there's a historical marker where the uh, Reverend Graham launched his crusade, and it was like 1933. And, and they made reference to the homelessness and the challenges of Tampa Heights. It's been around forever, but uh, recent the the. I think the biggest success of Eulalie is to is seeing the community grow and to see all the people who have been challenged and to offer those people opportunities too, whether they're working here at Eulalie or somewhere else of the many businesses that are forming up around us. Well, that's all due to Richard. He came into this area and really brought it back to life. That was, you know, whether there was a, a, a story behind that or not, I know there was something with Buckhorn. I'm not here to say what that story is or what it was. Well, I'll tell you this much. I, I, I'll say it and I'll speak my piece. I think very highly of the man. 
but I'm afraid if I speak too highly of him and he hears about it, he's going to get very cross with me <laughs> because he's that type of guy. Of course. So uh, I, I truly uh, am privileged to be here as, as the brewmaster at Eulalie. And, I, I, and I, I love to have the opportunity to continue to grow. I love looking out on the lawn and seeing kids running around on their little scooters and playing ball. And then going over to the spring and seeing people enjoying wine and frosé and mixed cocktails and classic and craft beer, you know, it's it's cool because I feel like this is a home for families. It's not a, it's not a nightclub. It's not a bar. It's like there's a different kind of vibe here, that tends to be where, hey, guess what? I can come here with my kids and I can sit down. And enjoy myself and not just be totally stressed out. And that's that's what Eulalie's all about. I worked here 40 hours a week. I met my wife here. Yeah. We worked, <laughs> we worked here 40 hours a week. And on our days off, this is where we would be. Yeah. We'd come fun. up here and, and we'd eat oysters and we'd yeah. drink wine and we'd drink beer and we'd hang out until far too late. Yeah. And then, you know, come back to work the next day and people were like, what are you doing it, hanging out at your job? And we're like, it's great. <laughs> this place is awesome. <laughs> it is. It is. A, it's fun just to hang out here. And um, it's fun to get to know people over the years. I can't tell you. An, another thing is the staff, the, even if they come and go, they always come back. They always come back, even if they're just diners. Hey, I, you know, how's it going, Tim? Oh, my God, I haven't seen you guys in years. Come on in. Oh, we're doing fine. I love hearing their stories of success, you know, and seeing kids in tow. Hey, what's going on? Wow, this is great. You got a family. You got a family. <laughs> I do. <have> right? <laughs> so all these things tie together. But it's really beer is like wine. It's, it's like a beautiful restaurant. The whole idea is to bring everybody together. And I feel like that's my mission. Sometimes I, I feel, you know, sometimes I get carried away. <laughs> but that's why I have a, a beautiful wife to keep me in line, right? She's the one who grabs me by the back of the ear. The sweetest yes. person in the world. Yeah. Oh, my God. She's a monster at home, though. <laughs> I don't believe it for no, a second. I'm just she's joking. an absolute I love her. sweetheart. I love her. She's my uh, Midas touch, she's my, my gold standard. And she's much smarter than me, <laughs> which is always helpful. I think the whole thing I got about, got out of this thing was like, this is a family business. This is a uh, an artistic creativity that you produce more than just beer. You produce uh, a, a, something that people can get together, enjoy. And at this restaurant, when you look out the back door, you know, there are kids just running around in the grass. And, yeah, you know, like <laughs> I love it. Parents are just enjoying <laughs> their food and their beverages as the kids play. I mean, yeah. this is what I feel like family is. And you are, like, again, creative beer. This is not one-dimensional beer. This has multiple flavors. I'm really excited about having you on. Anthony's been, you know, we've been talking about doing it forever when we can get out. It's our really kind of like our first out side event that we've ever done absolutely it's our know. first uh remote, remote podcast. podcast we are we are right we are half in the brewery and half outside yeah, <laughs> we yeah. are, we're literally that the when you hear is is uh is all part of the experience and and i i absolutely love that we got to do and, it and we love your passion so thank you we we thank you um uh, thank you again tim shackton ulaley 
I mean, we're come just, see us anytime. Yeah, and my door's always open. Listen, I got four thousand gallons of beer. <laughs> I'm gonna challenge you to drink me out of that. Awesome. Okay, and if you do, I'm gonna shake your hand at the very least. Right. <laughs> and for everyone knows, Tim, tell us where we're located. Like I said, we have listeners all over the United States and all over the world at this point. Tampa Heights and um, uh, just outside of uh, downtown Tampa, and 1810 North Highland Avenue. Uh, just Google map that sucker and um, we have valet service as well if you don't want to try to find parking Um, and come on by and see us we're open every day except for Thanksgiving and Christmas and um, we we love the people of Tampa and we love people from all over the world to come see us I I can't thank you enough, and and thank the powers that be that let you be on our podcast today. Anytime, yeah, it's it's a pleasure, and I look forward to uh, seeing you come back as the years go by, and just to see your lovely wife and to see your lovely daughter, and as she grows up, you got to keep coming uh, and bringing bringing those fine people through the door for me, will you? <laughs> of course, you know. I All love right, that. my friend, Tim Shackton, thank you. Thank, thank you. you Cheers. Cheers. Mm-hmm. And there you have it, another extremely fun episode for us to do. We hope that it was just as fun for you to listen to. Again, we wanted to thank everyone who got involved in making this podcast happen. There were a lot of moving parts and everyone who came together to connect those dots. Thank you again so much. We'll see you next week. Cheers.